So we're kind of finishing uh, this massive sentence in the Greek today. Um, as if you do remember in the first uh, teaching I did on Ephesians, I talked about how verses 3 through 14 of chapter 1 are all one sentence in the, uh, in the Greek. And, um, and what we see here is Paul kicked this off in verse 11. He says this, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So Paul immediately kicks this part off with, in him we have this inheritance. Now, who is him? It's Jesus, right? So, so apart from Jesus, we don't have a hope of the future. Okay, now I know I'm coming at it strong, but let's just put, our, let's just, I'm going to play my hand. <laughs> he kicks it off with in him. Okay, so it's only through him. Um, like, and, and if it is not about him in your life, you are still searching for that hope. You just are. Uh, he's the divine source of our inheritance. And so, so he, Paul kicks off with, you need to know the source of this inheritance is through Jesus, right? Our series, In Christ. And so Acts 4.12, it says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. When you add to this or take away from this, that's when you get a different religion. That's when you get in a cult, because uh, what you find typically is people will take Jesus and they will uh, just twist or distort a few things either about his life or what he actually did, and, but it still sounds positive, doesn't it? You know, we've been approached from people from different religions and different beliefs, and, and, and it's not like they just say Jesus is bad. No, a lot of times it's just, it's like, no, Jesus is great. I love Jesus too. And all of a sudden you find yourself going, wait a second, this sounds a little different. Okay, we need to understand that all of this is based upon the belief in Jesus Christ. Um, when, we, when we look at this phrase here that we have obtained in inheritance, it is one compound word in the Greek. The, the passive form of the verb allows for two possible renderings of this phrase. So it can be translated, we were made an inheritance, or as is written here in the ESV, we have obtained an inheritance. So uh, when we look at both of those options, so we see both of them aligning with scripture. Uh, we are God's possession is an idea repeatedly mentioned in the Old Testament. Jesus uh, repeatedly spoke of believers as gifts of the Father that the Father had given to him. Um, when we think of how it's translated, uh, believers receiving the inheritance, Peter speaks to this. In uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And in Colossians 1.12, it says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So both of these translations are grammatically and theologically uh, legitimate, uh, but, but when we take into the, you know, the full counsel of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 14, and we look at it throughout all of that, we, we find ourselves... Uh, you know, probably more so aligning to that we have obtained an inheritance. And our inheritance with Christ, when we look at this, it's just another blessing that the Father has gifted us with. 
It's incredible. Romans 8, 17, uh, it says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. It's way too silent. Man, you guys got to step up. It's the Super Bowl, okay? Romans 8, 17, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That's huge. You can't read that and just be like, oh, that's cool. That's awesome. I'm glad it says that. No, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Like, like this, this is mind-blowing that we have been made joint heirs with Christ. Like, like <laughs> we are guaranteed possession of everything he possesses. That, like, he doesn't, you know, and this continues in this, this like, mind-blowing trend that Paul talks about here. When he talks about salvation, he talks about adoption. That, that literally you are seen as a, as a son, as a daughter of God the Father. And, and literally, just as Jesus Christ has, has possessed all of this, you are a co-heir with Jesus Christ. Now, how do we, like... How do we have this status? Like, like how, how, do we, how did we attain this, this future that we have to look forward to? Well, it says it's according to God's sovereign purposes. You have, this, you have this inheritance in Jesus simply because he loves you. And said, I want you. It says he predestined this, that I was going to love you, that, that I was going to set you aside, that I was going to choose you. And, and, and so in other words, he willed it, and his will is in alignment with his nature, and his will is perfect. And it is just. And, and, and so we look at this, and, and, and I don't know, first of all, I go, man, if you are walking around as a Jesus follower with a limp, like you are wounded or you are hurt or, or just other people have it better than you or, or you, you find yourself in a room like this comparing and going, well, why is this situation like this or that? You are a co-heir with Christ. I mean, you should be confident in who, in who you are this morning by how God sees you if you're a Jesus follower. In verses 12 through 13, uh, we see that so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. So Paul uh, mentions the responsibility of people, and again, we see this mystery of sovereignty and responsibility. So people receive salvation when they hear the gospel and believe in Christ. And I love how Paul calls the gospel here what? The word of truth. The word of truth. You know, coming to Jesus for salvation is coming to the truth. It's coming to the truth. You know, I see often uh, when people place their, their hope, their faith, their trust in Jesus uh, for their salvation, there's many times I, I, I see people and they, and they literally physically just go, ah. why? Because they finally arrived at truth. They've been seeking, they've been searching, they've been hoping to find it. And, and for some of us, man, we have been uh, seeking this for so long. And we have tried to place our hope in all of these things. We've tried to like, like find that truth. And so, and so we tried to land our plane in all these different things that we thought, this is truth. This is the end. But when we finally receive Jesus, that's when you actually go, I've arrived. I'm there. And the fruit of the Spirit just takes over in that. You know, 
I find this search is never more evident in our lives than after a death. After death, like nothing else, really sobers us to the reality of our mortality. And in light of that, that also confronts us with our greatest fear. So, so if, if it, when, when you think about this, um, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you haven't found that truth, when you are confronted with the truth of death, it causes you to fear. And, and you find yourself trying to seek out anything that will bring hope, anything that you can totally go all in on. You know, um, it was interesting, you know, on last Sunday, really just, an inc- just a horrific tragedy, uh, whether you're a sports fan or not, uh, the, the death of, of, of those on that helicopter, including uh, Kobe Bryant and his daughter, and, and, and really that whole situation. And I was just thinking about that because, one, it just deeply moves and impacts you um, and, and, and brings death into your face. And, and this week as I was listening to just sports radio in the morning on my way to work and, and coming home, I, I could not believe how many times I was hearing people who I've never heard talk about this before, talking about their faith, talking about God. And it wasn't like, I, I didn't have like these pastor podcasts on rerun. It was people that I, I had no idea what they believe or, or any of those things. And they're talking about God. They're talking about this reminder. They're talking about praying and all these things. And I don't know what they all believe, but I was just reminded how, how through something like that, it, it brings all of us to this point of, I need truth. What do I hold on to? Where do I go in moments like this that confront the reality of my greatest fear? And without Jesus in your life, it is the greatest fear. With Jesus in your life, there is peace. But either way, when we see death, and we, it reminds us that we are just seeking out, we're seeking after truth, and the truth is the gospel. The gospel is truth. And, and, and so those of you that are just like literally frank, frantically going, where do I find, where do I put my anchor in uh, during this, this crazy time in our world? You know, um, I did uh, with a couple in this church and a couple from another church, uh, my wife convinced me to do this because um, she can pretty much probably convince me to do anything. Um, but we did an escape room and, which makes no sense to me, like you pay to be locked into a room and... It just doesn't make sense. And so, but everybody's doing it these days, you know. Culture is jacked. And um, we're doing this, and, and as we're doing this, you are just frantic. You're on the clock, and you're trying to figure out all these truths, all these clues to get yourself out. And, and, and I'm just reminded how there's so many of us that, that are trying to pretend we're not doing that. But if you don't have Jesus in your life, that is who you are right now. You are frantically on the clock because mortality has been literally confronting you um, and maybe even in particular after a funeral, after you've seen a friend, a relative lose their life and you go, where do I go? And, And by the authority of scripture, you need to go to the truth. The truth is the gospel. In this context, we see hope is is used primarily as a synonym for faith. The first to hope in Christ, they were the first to believe in him. So faith comes from a positive response to the message of truth, the gospel. Their response involved belief, and this is more than just intellectual acceptance. It's a trust and continued dependent pursuit of Jesus. 
Now notice the movement as well here because uh, it says we in verses 11 and 12 and it's, and it's talking about the Jewish believers but then uh, in verse 13 it talks about to you also which is who? The Gentile readers and then in verse 14 it, it, re- it references our, our inheritance, both groups equally then. And so what, like God has reconciled Jews and Gentiles through the work of Christ. And Paul is not only stressing that, that process, that plan of the ordering of salvation, but that the Lord's inheritance is not limited to Jewish believers. And that's huge. Because remember, the, like when they were taking the gospel to these new cities, they were first going to the Jews and presenting this. And Paul, once again, is reaffirming that, yeah, you may be, have been some of the first to believe, but this is not just limited to you. The gospel is for all people. Regardless of ethnicity or whatever background you have, the gospel is for you. And, and so they, they obviously had that privilege as Jews, but they needed to hear again that the Gentiles are also recipients of God's amazing grace. All believers are God's possession, redeemed for his glory. And as it kind of ends there and talks about so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. We're reminded again of why we exist as Jesus followers. To bring praise to his glory. To highlight his glory, not ours. We're, we're, we should be visible, walking trophies of God. You know, when you, if you've ever gone over to somebody's house and they have trophies... Um, I don't have trophies up. You should first go, why do you have your trophies up? But uh, if they're really successful, maybe they have a trophy room. I don't know. I've never been that successful. But when you go, you don't look at the trophies and go, wow, look at this trophy. Man, what an incredible trophy. No, what does the trophy represent? The trophy represents an incredible accomplishment by that person individually or collectively if they were a part of a team in accomplishing that and so you don't praise the trophy you literally praise the accomplishment of what was done to get the trophy when you think about us being walking tangible expressions we're supposed to be trophies of God's grace we people should be able to look at us and once again it should not be look at that trophy wow look at them their life seems so put together they're so smart I can't believe they can pray like that no they should look at you and they should glorify God's grace in you knowing that you are only a work of God and that knowing that only he could have done with you what you are right now and and so Paul once again he's like reaffirming this is it this is it this is how you respond to this this is what it looks like and then verses 13 and 14 it says in him you also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You know, we, we want assurances, don't we? Just, man, yes, thank you. There's like two of you that are here today. Like, come on, Super Bowl's coming, it's okay. So why do we want that? Why do we want assurances? Why, why do we want guarantees? Why, why do we question people, right? Like, like, we've seen so many people break their promise. 
There's so many broken promises that, that we've seen people do. We've seen so many uh, people be unreliable in doing what they say they're going to do, right? And we've seen this in our humanity, and maybe we've, we've done that. And so, and so for many of us, like, like, we carry this with us. We want assurance. We want guarantees. Like, like, for many of us, this is the reason we were so nervous on our wedding day. Like, it should have been the time where you are the most thankful, and you're praising God, and all of this, and maybe you were like me, a, just a wreck. And, and, and as I was a wreck, I, and, and there's video footage, I could not sit still up there. Like, I was shaking, I was moving, my brother was doing the service, and he looked at me and he said, stop. Like, just stop. But I was so nervous, especially before she started, like, before I could see her, why was I like that? Why, when I should have been so just, like, expected, excited? Because my heart had been damaged years earlier. And so in that moment, I'm not thinking about all that, that, that is about to happen. There's actually fear in my heart because of what I've experienced and seen before. And so we have this in us, and, and, we're, and we're damaged, and so, and so we want assurances. We want guarantees. Why do you think we go through what we go through when we're hiring people? And why when someone else, we think they've arrived at how to hire people, are we like, what do you do? How do you do that? Because we're so used to being damaged and hurt by the wrong hires, right? And so we want to know, how do we do that better? We want a guarantee to the best of our ability. We want assurances that this is going to work out. And, and, and the problem with this is we take this into our relationship with God. And for many of us, that's still our relationship with God. And, and, and we came to him under the impression that he was going to hold up his end of the bargain, and we continually remind him of that. And we continually go, well, well, well hold on, this hasn't fully arrived yet, or, or this isn't happening at the speed or whatever. And so we take these, these expectations, and, and, and we want more from God. God, I know what you say, but for whatever reason, what he says is not enough, and it should be enough, Right? Like, if God just says something, we sh he's the maker. We're the clay. He shaped, he formed us, all these things. We should just respond. If it says this, we shouldn't be going, oh, I don't know, God, did you really intend that for today? I don't know. Like, no, we should just be, like, moving forward by faith because of him just saying, go do this. But we don't. And, and even in this, uh, we, we, we see one of the reasons is because we don't get everything, right? We don't get all the promises fulfilled in that immediate moment when we give our lives to Jesus, right? There's a lot of it that we receive and we know is coming. The problem is he doesn't just like all of that right now. If he did all of that right now, you wouldn't be here. He would just take us there, right? But you're still here. And, and the difficulty with that is um, by us still being here and us putting him on this clock in our mind uh, for the fulfillment of all these things is we start in our humanity to have doubts. We start to doubt our salvation. We start to question different things that we, we thought we believed or, or even our trust in him gets rattled and shaken by different things that, that happen, whether in our family, our jobs, our health, and all these things start to rattle and shake us. So we start to question all these truths that we initially just believe and accepted and we're excited about the fulfillment of, and all of a sudden it's not enough, and, and we have these doubts, and, and here is what is so incredible about God 
He is so gracious that he even meets us at our areas of doubt and he gives us his own guarantees. Here the Lord guarantees his promises with his seal and with his guarantee. As one means of guaranteeing his promises to those who have received Jesus Christ, God has sealed them in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So every believer is given the Holy Spirit of God the moment they trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Romans 8, 9, it says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. If, 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 if you don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you never made a decision to give your life to Jesus. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it literally says this. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. In other words, the moment I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in my heart. Ooh. Seeing a lot of stuff in there, huh? At that moment, he establishes residency. And life with Jesus is different because the Spirit of God is now within us. There is no way. Whenever, whenever I see somebody and, and it's like there's no tangible change in their life, that they're a Jesus follower, I, I always go back to there's no way they could have actually surrendered their life to Jesus. Because by the authority of Scripture, it is absolutely impossible if I have given my life to Jesus for me to wake up the next day and be the same. It's just impossible. I now have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of me. There is no way I wake up business as usual. There's no way, especially for things that are in opposition to God, there's no way after this that I'm okay with the Spirit of God living inside of me that I can continue to grieve God by my actions and be okay with it. There's just no compatibility there. Like, and, and, and especially when we think about what the Holy Spirit does uh, in our life, like, like literally, he's there to empower us. He empowers us. He, he equips us. So, so he empowers, he encourages, but he equips us to fulfill whatever it is that, that he's going to lead us to do. He helps us function in these gifts that he has given us. So, so you can't wake up the same because now you have gifts available to you that he has given to you that you didn't have before. And he's not going to let you be okay with holding on to those gifts and not utilizing them. And so he's going to create moments and opportunities where you're going to be led to operate in that. He's our helper. He is our advocate to the Father. He is an advocate for us. He's a messenger. He protects you. He encourages you. And that's why, like, when we look at, like, the core values and we did that series, that's why being led by the Holy Spirit is one of the core values of this church. That wasn't just like, hey, let's dream this up. What do you think we should do? Like, no, it's like, what is God doing and how do we align our church around him? And, and so on, and on top of all of that, on top of all of that, the Holy Spirit doing all of this in your life, at the moment you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it says this, he guarantees our inheritance in Jesus Christ. Romans eight sixteen. the Spirit himself 
bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Oh, my goodness. Underline, highlight, circle. The spirit himself, the spirit himself, if you're a Jesus follower, you have the spirit inside of you, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so for any mindset, anything in your heart and your mind that is saying you are not that, you are not walking in the spirit. You're not. You're just not because, because you're literally, you're, it, it doesn't work. Because he, if I'm living for him and, and, and I've got the Holy Spirit in me, he is literally saying things that are reminding me that I am a child of God. His very presence in my life is to remind me that that is true, that that's who I am. Before a perfect and holy God, he's reminding me of that. And so when we step out and we start like, like literally having all these doubts and these questions, like I can tell you right now you're not walking in the Spirit because that is this thought that is in opposition to everything the Holy Spirit does by the authority of Scripture. The Holy Spirit is literally affirming you that you are a child of God if you're a Jesus follower. And he is saying, you walk in light of that. You walk in light of that. The Holy Spirit is our guarantee. A seal was a mark of ownership and authenticity. It was used for cattle, and even slaves were branded by their masters. Owners were guarding their property from, from theft by branding them, indicating that they belonged to them. Another type of seal uh, we see was made from hot wax, and, and it was placed on a document and then impressed with a, with a signet ring, and the document was there, thereby officially identified with and under the authority of the person whom the signet belonged. And these seals that, that I'm describing, they were all external, right? They were all outward. People could see in that, but our seal is internal. God puts his seal in our hearts. He puts his spirit within his people in order to mark them as his own. He has, through the Holy Spirit, he has marked you in your heart that you are his. You are his. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Later on in Ephesians, in Ephesians 4.30, he says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You carry his mark in your heart. You are his. And so once again, man, if... If I am, if I'm calling myself a Jesus follower, if I'm telling everybody that I'm a Christian, if I'm, if I'm like the one at work and, and the one on my team, the one in class, the, the one of my roommates or in my family that is claiming to be a Jesus follower, but I am acting like I am less or I am, I am acting like, oh, it hasn't really all worked out or I'm kind of wounded or I'm, I'm just like, oh, I'm the struggling Christian and that's kind of my lot in life. You know, join me. No, people aren't joining that. By the authority of Scripture, God has tattooed on your heart through the Holy Spirit that you are his. And so anything, any thought, any, any mindset that, that, that 
separates you from being able to step up by faith and moving forward confidently in light of that is not of God. It's just not of him. Man. Paul refers to the Holy Spirit as promised because his new covenant presence was foretold. Prophets in the Old Testament and Jesus told of the day in which the Spirit would be sent. Uh, in Ezekiel uh, 36, 27, uh, way back when, it says, And I will put my Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. In Joel 2:28, because you all read Joel all the time, it says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. And then Peter mentions the promised Holy Spirit in Acts 2.33. He says, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And then Jesus says in John 16, 7, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. This is Jesus saying this to his followers. Think about this. He says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now, if you're me and I'm there, I'm saying, no, no, it's not. No, it's not. You're wrong. And Jesus, in his perfect holiness, says, no, it's actually better that I go away. Why? For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You should want me to go, so I send him. Because of what he's going to do in your heart and your life. And then, and then Jesus, just to reaffirm, he said in John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will not leave you as orphans. None of us in this room, if we are a Jesus follower, should be acting like we are orphaned. No, he has adopted you and brought you in. What did he say? Like, not just like, like, not just adopt you in because like, oh, I'm stuck with you. No, he hand-selected you, wanted to bring you in, and then says, hey, you know how much I think of Jesus? You're a co-heir with Jesus. That's who you are. So, so, and, so, and, and listen, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult to suffer as I've suffered. And, and, and listen, it's not like God didn't know culture was going to reject him. Culture rejected him. It's going to reject you and me. And we're going to have times where our faith is going to struggle, where, where doubt is going to try and creep in, and the enemy is going to try and remind you of your insignificance. But because of the authority of Scripture and this truth, I know that I am not an orphan left out to fend for myself. I have the helper who Jesus said, it's better that I go so he can come. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our final inheritance. He's the down payment provided for the glory that is to come. Uh, when we look at our, 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 our Bible translation, of a, a pledge or a guarantee originally referred to a down payment or earnest money given to secure a purchase. In this case, the guarantee is not something separate from what it guarantees, but actually the first portion of it. A deposit on a house is more than a guarantee of payment. It is itself the first installment of the purchase price. All the realtors said amen. Later, the word came to represent any sort of pledge or earnest. A form of the word even came to be used for an engagement ring. Many times people use this verse to compare the spirit to an engagement ring. But here's the reality. An engagement is a promise, right? 
And I've seen many engagements end. It's not a down payment. The down payment on a house is the first installment of the purchase. God is not just telling us about this distant future. He's not just giving us this promise that's out there. Uh, He's literally, he is bringing the future into the present so that we can taste and see what the future is like. You get to live in the house after the down payment. Do you understand that? Like, like it's not like, oh, like the down payment is part of the, like, like you are in. And, and, and so it's not like, okay, we've got the down payment. Let's drive by the house and look at it some more and dream. Like, no, the down payment, we're in the house. We get to experience this. Now, we're not debt-free, so we're still feeling a little bit. But we, we get a taste. We get a taste, right? You get to have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life right now. He's a down payment on what's to come. But it's not this like promise. It's not this little ring. No, 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 no. It's not at all. It is literally, I am going to allow you to taste and experience the fullness of what is to come even right now in your humanity, in your ugliness, in your messiness, in the struggles of sin that just keep uh, surrounding us and all the things that are around us in our world. And even in spite of all of those things, I'm going to let you taste and see that the future is good. And just so you know, because I know you're going to doubt, I guarantee it with the Holy Spirit. As believers, we have the Holy Spirit as the divine guarantee of our inheritance. God's first installment of his guarantee that the fullness of the promised spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ will one day be completely fulfilled. As Paul has already twice declared, God's ultimate goal in redeeming his people is what? The praise of his glory again. We are not saved and blessed for our own glory, but for God's. People should see this manifested out of our lives and should cause them to want a relationship with Jesus. That's that's at the end of the day. What you have as a result of being in Christ should make others want a relationship with Christ. Like the fact that this that, that this is like this is thrown into the package? Are you kidding me? And so when people like like see this, like like some of you have gone to someone else's house or their apartment and you see things and you go, oh my goodness, that's so awesome. That's so cool. I can't wait to go and do that. I can't wait to bring that to my house. Or now I'm motivated to save so I can buy this house. And you take that. Like when people interact with you and see you and see what's in your heart, see, see how you live your life, how, how you love uh, your, your kids, how you, how you love your spouse, how, you know, your integrity, all these things that are going to be called into question, how you operate when you have the chance to cheat, all these things, like people are watching and what they see in you should literally go, I want that. I want that. I know that I don't have that and it is very real to me that they do have that. And so I want that. I want to bring that into my life. I want other people to see what they have in me. That's what, that should, that's what should be causing people to come to a relationship with Jesus. Is it shouldn't just be, oh, you guys all need to go hear this person or listen to this podcast. No, they should see tangible expressions of God's glory all throughout our cities, their work, their school, whatever. They should be seeing this. That's why, once again, this is also a core value of our church, to glorify God. And you do this confidently because the Holy Spirit is the church's guarantee that as Christ's bride, she will never be neglected or forsaken. Amen.
God the Father has chosen us, God the Son has redeemed us, and God the Spirit has assured us. We were made for praise, and he ends this, and he litters this whole section with praise, because guess what? Praise is one of those things that as you do it, it frees and lifts everything else in your heart, and you are just caught up in a moment where you just reflect on who God is, and it is such a beautiful thing. It, it just, it just like nothing else I've experienced in my life, it can remove whatever is right now trying to compete with God. It can remove whatever pain, whatever thought. When you just cry out to God and praise him, see, see Paul knew, like, listen, that's the thing you got to keep going back to because that's where the fulfillment of your heart is when we acknowledge the creator God and we just literally glorify him together. And collectively in a church as Christ's bride is so powerful. Why don't we do that right now? Let me pray.